welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers! Welcome to episode 20 of Profiles, which is... The number one rated podcast on iTunes in the TV and film category. Thank you so much for everyone for making it number one. I know we got a bit of a promotion from iTunes, so thanks to everyone who made that happen. Thank you so much for everyone who made that happen. Thank you to all the newcomers who are joining us on Profiles for our 20th episode of Profiles. We already did one Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson recently. Uh Now we are doing another exceptional Anderson filmmaker, Wes Anderson, who is absolutely on a roll right now. Right. He won the Golden Globe for Grand Budapest Hotel. And he got nominated for a as best director from the Directors Guild of America. Just today. Just today. This is huge, huge news. A movie and a filmmaker that deserves all these accolades. And I got to tell you, in every episode of Profiles we've done so far, mm-hmm. doing the research for this one was by far the most rewarding and eye-opening to me. Yes. Because... You weren't such a big fan. Wes Anderson is one of my favorite filmmakers. He wasn't my jam. He was not your jam. But he is now. I'm so glad. He is now because even even though, I liked, even though I liked earlier films a lot, like Rushmore, like Royal Tenenbaums, I just felt like he, he, in some ways, wasn't really branching out from his style. Yeah. But when I went back and rewatched films like Moonrise Kingdom, mm. Grand Budapest, even Darjeeling Limited and Fantastic Mr. Fox, I realized, wow, he is really a filmmaker who stays within his comfort zone and it's and his style, so mm-hmm. to speak, but really does branch out and does challenge himself. Grand Budapest Hotel is the most ambitious and and rewarding film of yeah. his career. No wonder it's getting all these accolades. I can't wait to talk about that in detail. I also can't wait to talk to Jason Schwartzman, who should hopefully be calling in in the yes. next half an hour or so. Hi to everyone who's watching live on YouTube right now, youtube.com slash Popcorn Talk Network, I am watching the comments, so I'll try and read out some as we go. But Wes Anderson, okay, so I think you can sum him up using lots of adjectives. Go for it. <laughs> Quirky. Yes. Idiosyncratic. Yes. Stylized. Very stylized. Funny. Uh-huh. Distinctive. Well, the the visual and narrative style that he has is absolutely unique. His set design, his typography, when you see orange, red, and yeah. pink, and even turquoise, you know you're watching you know you're watching a Wes Anderson movie. The tracking shots, the, the tr- use of symmetry, and then the, the same troupe of actors that he uses time and time again. And then the stories, which are often about families or groups of people. Dysfunctional families. Yeah. And the style of his films, the way, they are, the way they are broken down into chapters. His movies have a very storybook feel. Often starts with a book. Or with a book and with narration. Mm-hmm. But this is a style that works for him. But it is also a style that he uses as a platform to make more ambitious and 
challenging films like Royal Tenenbaums and definitely like the Grand Budapest Hotel. But the other thing about his movies, even though there are a couple that are set in a specific time, yep. others feel like they are timeless. Exactly. Because you, you don't see them. They're not using a computer. They're not using <laughs> no. a cell phone. They're not talking uh, about about what they downloaded from iTunes, which would have been profiles, of course. Yeah. But a movie like Royal Tenenbaums could have taken place in 1960, 1970, mm-hmm. 1980. And that is why a movie like Royal Tenenbaums is is a timeless masterpiece. Well, you know who else is a big fan of Wes Anderson? Who? Martin Scorsese. Oh, of course. He of says course. about Wes, Wes has a very special kind of talent. He knows how to convey the simple joys and interactions between people so well and with such richness. This kind of sensibility is rare in movies. He is a rare gem and I know that people, some people don't like him, some people don't get him and that's totally fine. I love a director who has a very distinct style but as you said, he, he does try different things within the style but one look at one of his movies and you know it's a Wes Anderson film. They're Wes anderson That's why there's like parodies yeah, of exactly. his movies. <laughs> I saw recently the Star, Star Wars Force Awakens uh, trailer redone as, as a, a Wes, Wes Anderson, anderson movie. movie. so funny. I want to see that movie. Well, with eight live-action feature films, or actually uh, seven live-action features, one animated feature that mm-hmm. won Best Animated Feature at the Oscars, and his cinematographer on his live-action films, Robert Yeoman, is just one of the great cinematographers. And then there's the music as well. Great soundtracks. The 70s, uh, 60s, 70s pop music. Definitely 60s. A lot <laughs> yeah. of Kinks, a lot of Rolling Stones. I love it. But then you also got Claude Debussy and Claire de Lune, so anything goes in his movies as well. Extraordinary filmmaker, extraordinary life, wouldn't you say? I would say that because that's a perfect segue to It's a Wonderful, a wonderful life. life, where we take a look at the life of Wes Anderson. Roll it. Wesley Wales Anderson was born on May 1, 1969 in Houston, Texas. His father, Melver, worked in advertising and public relations while his mother, Anne, was a former archaeologist turned real estate agent. As a child, Wes wrote plays and made silent films using his father's Super 8 camera. In 1987, he graduated from St. John's Private Prep School, which would later serve as the inspiration for his 1998 breakthrough movie, Rushmore. Anderson majored in philosophy at the University of Texas in Austin, which is where he met his constant future collaborator, Owen Wilson. Along with Owen's brother-in-law, Luke, they made the short film Bottle Rocket, which was screened at the Sundance Film Festival and, in 1996, expanded into Anderson's first feature-length movie. With Rushmore, the Royal Tenenbaums, and the films that followed, Wes Anderson established himself as an artist with a unique visual and narrative style. Anderson has been nominated for three Academy Awards, two for screenwriting and one for Best Animated Feature. Oh, wow. so cool. Very, very cool. Well, what are some of our profilers saying right now? Well, Joshua Willingham, who runs our at Profiles SK fan Twitter, right. he is finally getting to see Profiles live. Oh, right. So he's right very on. excited about that. Your a towel <laughs> says, anyone seen Submarine? It was very Wes Anderson-like. I oh, agree. That's yeah, true. That yeah. does look, but it's not quite as quirky as the Wes Anderson movies, but there's that. And uh, people are just excited to talk more about Wes Anderson. Well, so. what is your first blood for Wes Anderson? I can't wait to hear this. Well, yeah, Mike, because the first one I really remember was Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. but I know that I did see Rushmore. And I saw it again on VHS, <laughs> VHS. on one of my many trips <laughs> to the uh, the video store where I'd get this seven films for seven dollars for seven days so i'd get like a whole range i get some classics i get some indies i get some new releases and watch them all um 
So I remember seeing it on VHS and and enjoying it, but also not quite getting it. I thought, you know, it's such a deadpan delivery. Jason Schwartzman has. It's very quirky and different. Uh, Then when I saw Royal Tenenbaums, I was like, I love this director. That made me fall in love with Wes Anderson. And then from there, I saw, of course, all his subsequent films. And I went back to some of his previous films and I'd I'd try and watch them all. And his short movies. Oh, and his shorts too. Yeah, Yeah. we'll definitely talk about his shorts today. your first blood Rushmore as well? My first blood was Rushmore and I remember it distinctly because it it had an attitude. It had a toughness to it. It was still odd and quirky and idiosyncratic Mm -hmm. and I thought that Jason Schwartzman just knocked it out of the park as Max Bishop. What a character that he's such an overachiever in everything (laughs) but his grades. But the thing that really knocked me out with Rushmore was not just Wes Anderson, not Jason Schwartzman. It was Bill Murray. Because he'd never seen him in that kind of role before. Never seen him in that kind of role before. He was used to seeing him in real broad comedies, you know, like Ghostbusters and uh, and Groundhog Day, those kind of big broad comedies. But with Rushmore in 1998 and every almost every film that followed, a lot of the Wes Anderson movies, he really reinvented his career. He was still doing comedy, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of seriousness to it, a lot of drama, a lot of depth. I mean, look at Lost in Translation. Mm-hmm. Not, not a Wes Anderson movie, uh, Broken Flowers, mm-hmm. but then all of the Wes Anderson films, especially The Life Aquatic, where he just gave a sensational performance. And I know one of our profiles profilers is a big fan of that film. <laughs> so much so, he calls, he himself, Nick, he calls himself Steve Zissou. But that was the film that really just like really introduced me to Wes Anderson. Yeah, well, I, I think once you see Rushmore, it's not easily forgotten. But will it make our Fast Five? That I have is a the question. Fast Five is our top five movies from this director. So at number five, we are putting in... What's wrong with you? Let me think about that. The Darjeeling Limited. Limited. I know some people out there will say, what? This is crazy. It has its detractors, but I have to say, it is my personal... It's personally my favorite. Why? Of all Wes Anderson movies. I think it's the one that I connect to the most. I think because of the family aspect. I love that, you know, it's about letting go and uh, letting go of old resentments, letting go yeah, of yeah. new resentments. And I absolutely love the quote. I wonder if the three of us could have been friends in real life, not as brothers, but as people. I love those three guys together. And yeah. this was his fifth full-length feature, and mm-hmm. it was written by Wes, also Jason Schwartzman, and, and Roman, Roman Coppola. Coppola. This movie came out on October 26, 2007, and I think of all the films that I went back and watched for this uh, for this profile, for my research, which was all of them, yeah. I think this is the one that improved the most with a repeat of viewing. I feel like that's that's the key. That if, is if the key. You're, if you're out there and you're thinking, I didn't like Darjeeling Limited when I first saw go it, go back and watch you should it go again. Go back and rewatch it. But like the Royal Tenenbaums, like you just said, this is a movie about a dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. Covers a lot of the same themes of despair and abandonment Lost. and reconciliation. Yes. And the listen, the last scene of that movie is very symbolic, not very subtle, but still very effective when they're all running for the train and they let go of their excess baggage. Of that beautiful luggage. I yes. wanted that luggage. And Slow motion. Once again in a Wes Anderson movie, as with all his movies, the production design was incredible. I loved all the details on the train. A lot of those props were handmade and that luggage it's all so beautifully shot and India seems like the perfect place for Wes Anderson because it is full of colour and full of vibrancy. And he was inspired to write this movie after Scorsese showed him a a Jean Renoir film called The River, which was set in India. 
So he felt like he wanted to do something that was set in India. Well, in addition to in addition to the props, they remade ten rail cars specifically for this film, so So he could could shoot it. So they could do everything. This movie cost seventeen and a half million to make, made about thirty five million at the box office. Uh, Entertainment Weekly gave it a B plus, which is a good review, saying it's a startling new maturity maturity in Darjeeling as a compassion for the larger the world that busts the confines of the filmmaker's maturist miniaturist instincts. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it has, uh, it, it looks great. It's got some great humor, but I also felt like this is one of his darkest movies. There's a real sense of pain that permeates throughout the film. For sure, yeah. Definitely that they're they're just, especially when they see their mother, played by Angelica Houston. Yeah. And there's just, there's a lot of pain. But then again, that last scene where they're just, they just let it all go, literally and figuratively. Some great music in here as well. Definitely great as music. As always. And I also love that the three brothers, they're called Francis, Jack, and Peter. Named, and after, named after Francis, Francis Ford, Ford Coppola, Coppola, Jack, Jack Nicholson, Nicholson, and Peter, Peter Bogdanovich. <laughs> yes, we did the same research for this, didn't we? <laughs> of <laughs> Let's find out what our friends in Schmelville, our profiler friends, are saying about this. Michael Kay says, Two of Wes Anderson's most surprisingly underrated films are Bottle Rocket and The Darjeeling Limited, both starring Owen Wilson. First off, without without Wes Anderson, nobody could be aware of Owen Wilson and what a great comedic actor he is. The camaraderie between Wilson and his real-life brother, brothers Luke and Andrew in Bottle Rocket – and his on-screen brothers, Adrian Brody and Jason Schwartzman are in Darjeeling Limited, are just incredible. I highly recommend these two films. Yeah, Owen Wilson was fantastic in this movie. And having that uh, the bandages around him for the whole film, the whole, the it's, whole just, film. it's a reminder of what pain his character went through. Well, he also kept a line in his shoe. He had to limp. So he could, <laughs> he could limp. <laughs> well, Dana Walker says, I have to admit that I have a fascination with the relationships brothers have with one another, especially especially as people get older because it takes a bit longer for their vulnerabilities to show. That's why I love the Darjeeling Limited. The brothers naturally become so vulnerable around each other and as their grief unfolds throughout the film, they are able to face each other, face the present and face the world. It's even more interesting because they are in a country that is painted with vivid colours while they are struggling with deep emotions that show the physical and emotional beauties of life. I definitely related to the sibling part of it. I mean, me and my sisters get along really well, but I think that's the family aspect is why no I love question. it. No question, sure. And Rachel Cushing, who is a great profiler. She's an awesome profiler. She's watching great live film critic. Hi, on Rachel. YouTube right now, and she says, hmm, maybe I'll agree with Scott if I go back and watch it again. <laughs> I only saw it the one time in theatre, and I didn't love it at the time. But Your Tao says, I think Darjeeling is his most serious, but it hits me emotionally in the right spots because I'm one of four boys. And then there's a few other people saying that Darjeeling Limited, Leonardo, Chase on, hopefully I got that right, uh, says the Darjeeling Limited is so underrated. Well, another thing about this movie was the short film that takes place before... Yes, before Darjeeling Limited. Before it's called Hotel, Hotel Chevalier. Chevalier. Yeah. It takes place in <laughs> France. And if you remember when you're watching Darjeeling Limited, for a split second, as Jack's ex-girlfriend, you see Natalie Portman. Yep. And you're watching the movie going, was that Natalie Portman? And then towards the end, he reads out a story that he's working on. And it is one of the lines from that movie. 
So it's it's a great little uh, companion piece to Darjeeling Limited. But I have to say, uh, out of nearly everything that Wes Anderson's done, that's one of my favourites. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love the mood of it. I love how it's these two people who are either in love or they're just trying to escape from love or they only have each other and then they reconnect. And Jason Schwartzman's character is so fantastic in the movie where he, he has to cue up the song at the right time. And, He's obsessed with the details. And I love when, right before they're about to make love, he says, he says, I will never be your friend. Yeah. It's like we're just putting it all out there. Yeah, but, you know, it's that. just he's just hurting so much, but he can't live without her. It's just so there's so much depth. It's like a 13 minute short and it's on the DVD and Blu-ray for the Darjeeling Limited. So when you go back and rewatch the Darjeeling Limited, which you should mm-hmm. absolutely do, Definitely. make sure you watch this short film as well. I love that song. Where did where did you go to, my lovely? Oh, so great. It. So good. So great. Well, with so many great scenes to choose from and oh, so many great Wes really Anderson hard. movies, it was really hard to pick a best. What was yours? Oh, mine um, Mine is from Darjeeling Limited. Okay. I love the beginning because it's it's kind of a great fake out, right? It starts on Bill oh, Murray. Bill Murray. Yeah, you're like, okay, and Bill Murray's in the movie again. Exactly. <laughs> and he plays a businessman. So naturally, the first time you see it, you think the movie is going to be about him because right. he's a big star. He's always been in Wes's movies. The, the car is rushing through India. It's chaotic. He's trying to get to the train on time. He's just running for the train. And then all of a sudden, he's overtaken by Adrian, Adrian Brody, Brody, who plays Peter, one of the brothers. And slow motion, great running. Adrian does this, Adrian's character does this double take and looks at him and then jumps on the, the train and picks up the glasses and it looks at him. And the thing that I also love about this, let alone the, the great slow motion, the, the beautiful cinematography and the music, I, I like the theories that it's inspired because a lot of people are saying, is that their father and the, right. their father as a ghost oh. that he is seeing? That's a good point. I never thought about that, but and that totally makes sense. appears later on in a shot in the train as in well. In the train, that's right. Quick shot in the so train. So it could just be a businessman who misses the train, or he could be the ghost of their father. I don't know, but I like that conjecture. Anytime you can have that conjecture and, and really sort of theorize on what the meaning is and what you just saw and just discuss it like this, that is always a great staple for movies. What's yours? My right stuff is from Moonrise Kingdom yep. when Sam and Susie tell each other that they love each other. Oh, so they're, sweet. They're on the beach in their little encampment that they have named <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom. Yep. That that's where the title comes from. You find that out at the end of the movie. And it's just so sweet and poignant, but also very awkward the type of awkwardness that comes when you're telling somebody you love someone for the very first time, especially at such a young age. Yeah, do they know what love is or is this more of a friendship? But I also did like the scene we just we just talked about for Darjeeling Limited when they're letting go of the baggage mm. at the end of the film. It was so symbolic and just so, if only it were that easy to let go yeah. of the baggage, the emotional baggage that we all carry around. I also love the line in Darjeeling Limited, I love you, but I'm going to mace you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Well, so many great, when you watch Wes Anderson's so many movies, details. so many details, but even when you, not just visually, but structurally, because mm-hmm. there's so much going on in these movies, especially, again, in Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, like, wow. I had to see that movie like three or four times. You would see something new every time. Absolutely, I would. It's crazy. And the thing about Wes Anderson movies, there's also a lot of a lot of trivia and facts that go along with it. There's been several books written about Wes Anderson. So, did you know Tell me. that Bill Murray actually paid for the helicopter scene in Rushmore? It cost $25,000. Disney said no. Bill Murray wrote a check. 
Okay, so that brings me to my did you know, yeah. which was, did you know that Bill Murray's paycheck for Rushmore $9, was $9,000? <laughs> so he did that movie at a deficit. <laughs> yeah, he did. Well, did you know that the hand, that the, the BB pellet is is in, you know, in, in Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah. Which is supposed to be Ben Stiller's hand. Right. It's not. It's actually... Andrew Wilson's hand. Oh, really? Andrew is the brother of Luke and Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson shot his brother Andrew in the hand with a BB gun, and that pellet remains there today. Well, did you know <laughs> that the hawk in in uh, the Royal Tenenbaums named Mordecai? Yeah. The hawk was actually Johnny Depp kidnapped. No, it's not Johnny Depp. Although that is a nice plug for his movie opening at the end of the month. Uh, but no, that hawk was kidnapped, so they had to find another hawk. Oh. A second hawk to finish out the scene. They don't know what happened to the hawk, and they never found out who stole it. Oh, wow. I know. Too bad. Maybe that's where the extra gray feathers came from. You got anything kidnapped. else? You got one more? No, but... I got one more okay. for you. I'm going to hit you up with one more. Do it. That even though our guest of honor today, hopefully, Jason Schwartzman, won out to play Max Bishop in Rushmore. Max his, Fisher, yeah. Max Fisher in, in his feature film debut, more than 1,800 people auditioned for that role, and he wow. won it. So pretty interesting. Way and to go, Jason. I thought of another one. What? So when he auditioned for that role, Jason, he made his own little Rushmore patch and he oh, sewed it to his cool. jacket. Very, very cool. It's all in the details. Well, let's keep going with our fast, fast five. five. Coming in at number four is... I'm not in love with you anymore. I didn't know you ever were. The, the Royal, Royal Tenenbaums, Tenenbaums, released December 14, 2001. My shirt today. Very cool shirt you're wearing. Yeah. Uh, with your adopted daughter, Margot, right at the bottom there. Yeah. Nominated for one Academy Award original screenplay for Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson. Very interesting. And I got to tell you that it was and still is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, because we, we decided our Fast Five before we rewatched everything because I was going to New York and we we're going to be so busy. When I was rewatching this, I was like, we should have placed this higher. It should have been higher. I I yeah. love this movie yeah. and every time I watch it I, I see more I, I get to know more and and I just love I love the dialogue I love how it's a funny and also quite sad it's very portrayal sad of a dysfunctional family a brilliant brilliant family it's all about redemption and forgiveness and it's so impressive how Wes is able to handle all these distinct characters there's so many characters in this film they're all very different from each other and they all have different issues different problems going on there's a lot happening in the story there but he handles happening. it so well the design of course is brilliant the music and alec baldwin's narration narration yeah this movie cost 21 million dollars to make it made 71.4 million at the box office and i i agree it's it is his saddest movie but i also feel like it's his most enduring masterpiece because it is so ambitious and so deep and because it's this ensemble mm. but it's got this wicked ironic absurd sense of humor but it is also heartbreaking mm -hmm. and heavy i mean i want to even say maybe it's a little depressing mm -hmm. but this is a film that for two, by 2001 this is the movie where wes anderson's vision and his style really came to the fore and hit its stride you have the storybook feel the chapters the narration the colors red orange and pink and you have this sort of deadpan delivery of a mm. lot of the characters the, the camera movements as well i love the characters um who's your favorite mine is owen wilson as eli cash uh, i love i love the moment <laughs> when he's getting interviewed and then he's like okay i'm gonna go and he takes off his his microphone and he storms out dressed as a cowboy 
in love with uh, Margot, but still sends his clippings to Mrs. Tenenbaum. Oh, he's such a great, well-written character. I feel he's like also good. Chaz is my favorite, played yeah. by Ben Stiller. Best role for him, I think. I think of all his movies. When I saw him in Royal Tenenbaums, even though he had done a movie that no one saw called uh, uh, Midnight Permanent Midnight, it came out in 1998. Yeah, it was that. a very serious role for him. But this was a movie that it was serious, but it, of course it had a comic side too. But just the way he was so protective and so paranoid because of what happened to his wife and the mother of his yeah. kids. And it was just something really, really heartbreaking, not just about his character, but all the kids, the three of them, yeah. the way they were, they were these whiz kids. They were so brilliant, but that brilliance had a consequence because they were completely screwed up. And, you know, they just, they just, the brilliance, Brilliance does have consequences. Yeah, and and I like it towards the end. Uh, they rediscover their love for each other. Let's talk about the soundtrack for this movie. Oh, amazing soundtrack! Great. You have the Ramones, the Rolling Stones, <laughs> yeah. Paul Simon. I mean, Wes Anderson's soundtracks are great. I mean, every one of his movies they have great soundtracks. Did you know? Did you? I know I talked about this before about the, uh, the how the movie is so timeless because you don't. There's nothing to give away when the movie could take place. Yep. There's no Chiron. Oh, it's 1978 or whatever. Yeah. But originally, the character of Royal Tenenbaum, before it went to Gene Hackman, they offered it to Gene Wilder. Mm. Gene Wilder turned it down because he had already retired and he just was done with the acting thing. Wow. But uh, listen, Gene Hackman was fantastic oh, in this movie. Oh, yeah, because that character, y- you hate him, uh, Royal, at the same time you, you really like him and, and you're kind of impressed with, with his his scheming. And he's just so, you know, he, he doesn't have a frontal lobe, like the way he treated Danny Glover's character in this oh, movie. Oh, I know. I mean, it was like, dude, you but are such a racist. The end, towards yeah. the end, he comes He comes around. around. Well, I actually managed to review this movie back on December 14th, 2001. What did you say? At the time, I mean, this was 2001. This was 15 years ago almost almost 15 years ago uh the film's unique vision and timeless feel makes it hard to determine when it actually takes place it could have been 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago anderson and co-writer owen wilson who also co-stars have crafted an intricate witty sharp film that could easily have been adapted from the great american novel that never was written well liam Grant, who is also a big beatles fan just yes. like you he says hey jude Hey Jude! Because they they use the instrumental version. Yes, they use the instrumental version. By the way, Liam, I don't think they could get the the rights to the the other one. Okay, I just want to just point out here, Liam Legrand, big Beatles fan, one of our favorite profilers, totally just gave away the answer to the question I was oh. going to give to you in my quiz show. Oh, oh I'm Alicia glad Lund. that means I don't have to Darn. have to do it because I'm terrible at that. Uh, Rachel Cushing says, I was 21 and still in film school when I saw it, and it completely knocked me over. Tyler Myers says, The final scene where the whole family is at the grave is oh, such a heartbreaking. heartbreaking and beautiful scene. Well, let's find out what our profilers had to say online. And there's a lot of, Hi, JTE, who's hey, in JTE. our booth, and he's also commenting as well. Oh, great. great. Way yeah. to go, JTE. <laughs> well, Oki Brown says, The Royal Tenenbaums is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. It looks incredible. The relationships are fantastic, and every performance is pitch perfect i love how the melancholic atmosphere gives way to hopefulness but the absolute quencher for me is gene hackman as royal he is marvelous and rachel cushing who we've already been mentioning <laughs> yeah. she says wes 
Anderson films always feel like novels to me from the deliberate use of typography, narrators and chapter-like scenes, not to mention the number of characters he's always juggling. And The Royal Tenenbaums is the best example of how this quirky approach works. It's all about the hyper-real look, the pacing, the balance between the absurd and the sincere. Most of the characters are uh, uh, dislikable yet relatable and the story never goes quite the way you think it will at times it is incredibly dark and sad but Anderson never lets us dwell in that dark place for too long I like how the the chapters open you can see the, the words the little written, picture yeah the picture and the words written uh, describing the action that's about to take place and Luke Wilson is also great Luke Wilson Gwyneth Paltrow is I great I love the moment where it's like he's taken off one shoe and <laughs> when he's playing the tennis game and then he just collapses well the the, the scene where where you know him and Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, they're she's adopted, so you can get. It's okay that they that they yeah. love each other. But what is the line? She says something like, uh, "We'll I just, think have, we'll just to, have to have to love each other in secret." In secret, and yeah. That, that, like that's it, and like, that's, that's really it. heartbreaking. I mean, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. But there's so many great as as beautiful as Wes Anderson's movies look. Mm-hmm. His one sheets. His movie posters are just as gorgeous. Yes, it always feels like a treat when you get to see one. So we've picked our top three in the segment we like to call Big Picture. Picture. Roll it. Wes Anderson infuses his one sheets with the same beautiful, stylish, colorful, and creative whimsy that defines the very best of his movies. We love this dense poster for 2012's Moonrise Kingdom, which makes us want to go back into the forest with young lovers Sam and Susie. Then there's the pink-tinged one-sheet for 2001 star-studded dysfunctional family dramedy, The Royal Tenenbaums. Just one big happy family, right? Hey, that cab has a dent in it. And a dent there. And a dent there. And a dent there. Pink is again featured prominently in the amazing one-sheet for Anderson's latest feature, The Grand Budapest Hotel. This one looks more like a painting than a photo, making it just like the movie, a true work of art indeed. Well, a comment from Joseph Heisenberg on YouTube says that he has never seen any Wes Anderson movies. So I would suggest if people haven't seen Wes Anderson movies... Where do you start? Start with Royal Tenenbaums. Start with... I think that's one of his most accessible because then you you get the style and then you can go from there. See, I feel like you should start with Rushmore only because to to watch Wes Anderson's style evolve Mm -hmm. from Rushmore... Two Royal Tenenbaums, and then beyond that, it, it's it's like to to just appreciate a body of work like that, yep. and to watch them evolve. But yeah, I mean, listen, Royal Tenenbaums, you can't go wrong yeah. with starting just because Definitely it is so accessible. Two, you should, yeah. should start with. You shouldn't dive straight into one of his more complex movies. I would not do that. No. <laughs> no. Well, it's almost time for it's our special guest. Time. But in the meantime, I will uh, test you because uh, fire away. <laughs> I think you're going to get this one. <laughs> so, how many of Wes's eight movies has Bill Murray appeared in? I'm going to say all of them. <laughs> all oh, no, no, that? except... Wait, wait. No, that, that would be seven. Yes. Because he did not do Bottle Rocket. Exactly. Oh, okay. Thank you for making Ooh. that easy, Alicia Malone. You got that. Boom. You Bottom. got that super, Thank you. super you, easy. You're, you're generous. Peter P. says, I love Royal Tenenbaums. My favorite Wes Anderson film, My Right Stuff, is actually the scene when Richie spoilers attempts to do something dark it, it showed me that comedy can be mixed with intense darkness that is true and joshua willingham says i have the moonrise kingdom poster i absolutely love it yeah then the one sheets like like whenever you see 
that the trailer for a Wes Anderson movie, an upcoming Wes Anderson film, it's like you just go, okay, let's do this. Yeah, let's go. Okay, you know wait. what to get. You know what you're going to get. But then you always get so much more. And that was really, that was really a case with, with uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, which will, which we will get to. But right now, moving along, yeah, our Fast keep Five, let's keep going. Five. Coming in at number three is... What kind of bird are you? I'm a sparrow. She's a dog. No, I said. What kind of bird are you? Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom released May 25th, 2012. It opened the Cannes Film Festival. Nominated for one Academy Award Best Original Screenplay for Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola. This movie cost $16 million to make. It made $68.3 million worldwide. That's actually mm. pretty impressive. I saw it in Cannes. It's, oh, you did. Which is uh, such a treat. And I got to speak with Wes Anderson and Edward Norton about oh, the movie. Oh, that's so great. I love this film. It's really about adolescence, about wanting to grow up. And let's and pause there. <laughs> right now, joining us on the phone, we are very, very excited to have joining us on Profiles, our spotlight on Wes Anderson. Please welcome Jason Schwartzman to the show. Woo-hoo! Jason, you are on with Profiles and you are talking with Scott and Alicia. Hello. Hi guys, how are you? Good. We're doing great. Thank you so much for joining us on Profiles. We're really thank excited. You, thank you for having me. So yeah, excited you. to talk to you. And uh, a huge night on Sunday night yeah. with Wes getting and Grand Budapest Hotel getting the Golden Globe. How how yeah. proud are you of that? Uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm happy for uh, I'm happy for for Wes and um, you know for everyone that worked on it because uh, it was such a it was such a Big undertaking, uh, you know, from the beginning, and um, such a complicated um, story and movie. And I, I, you know, just being there, um, even just for the little time that I was there, seeing the, you know, like the craftsmanship and the work and the time that went into it. Um, as by the way, I'm not saying more than any of the other movies, but I just I know how hard it was and how how meaningful it was um, to make the movie and. Um, so to get that, you know, to get that kind of recognition is exciting because the main thing that I think that maybe it does is bring attention to it and maybe, you know, more people can see it, which is really what you want. Mm. You know, well, that's, you want people to see the movies and that's what this type of thing is, you know, really helpful do, at doing. Well, the, the hits just keep on coming because just today it was announced by the Directors Guild that Wes was nominated for Best Director for Grand Budapest Hotel. So how great is it to see Wes's work, especially Grand Budapest, embraced by so many in the film community, but also just general moviegoers really love this movie yeah. too? It's it's awesome. It's such a thrill. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what I could say that uh, – you know, hasn't hasn't been said, but I, 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 to me, I feel that you know, Wes is one of the you know best directors uh, working now, um, and to me, he's like you know, a, you know, a, well, he's my best friend, but he's also you know, as a professional, he's like you know, the ultimate director, and so I feel like I've always felt this way, but it's exciting that you know people all over America um, might be turned on to someone that. They um, that they maybe heard about in passing, and you know, it's just like this movie and also Moonrise Kingdom. You know that they like find an audience and strike a chord. It's so um, it's so meaningful. You know what I mean? Because I think the movies deserve it. 
Yeah, they definitely do. And and you're not only friends with Wes, but you've made five feature films with him. So have you seen his style evolve over the years? His style? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, if you watch the movies, the style, um, I think, you know, yeah, I think it evolves. I think that it um, maybe... It still feels well, like him as maybe well. Maybe refi- like get refined. Um because even if you watch, you know, the first movies, so many of the things that um, uh, Wes, uh, you know, has even put in the Grand Budapest, you know, stylistically and stuff, um, have sort of always been there. You know what I mean? Like a sort of a signature thing. Mm. But, of course, um, you know, it's like just kind of gets, you know, as you move on, you start to know what you like or what you're curious about, and it becomes more and more... Refined, but I will say that, like, um, when I watched the Grand Budapest, the thing that I was thinking when I was watching it was, this is like all of Wes's, like everything he's tried in so many of his different movies. Um, he's taken little things, things that he's learned, and put them all in one movie. Absolutely, yeah. it does you know, feel it's got, like, like that. Stop motion. It's got uh, miniatures. It's got you know, it's just got the vast cast. It has so many things that he's explored, and this is. You know, seems like like a sort of like a mega mix of that. Yeah. Well, but because you've worked with so many great directors, I mean, what is it about Wes when you watch him work? Like, what's his style? How does he work with actors? Like, what kind of direction does he give? And obviously, mm-hmm. he's very he's very meticulous with his set design. I mean, that's that's obvious. <laughs> well, um, you know, there's there's lots of great directors, and they each have their own. Um, signature style or something that, you know, makes it maybe it's sometimes it's not visual, but it's the writing or, you know, the, the humor. Or, and um, I think that with Wes, like if I think about it, it's, you know, it's a few things. One, I just think that, like, he, and like I say, everyone's different, but Wes, if you like his, like, gut instinct um, about something or, like, his approach or his take on a scene is just coming from a totally different place instantly and very and naturally you know what i mean like um it just the way he's uh thinking about things or what he what he sees as funny um you know i don't feel like you know other that's his that's his sort of gift or yeah, like sure. his own brother you know there's so many different people that have mm. their version of something that makes them so special and you know i think that it's many things but like i think his sense of humor is just like i don't know there's really nothing quite like it to me and um it's like this strange combination of happy and sad i guess and uh i don't yeah. know i feel like stupid talking about it but the other <laughs> thing is like when you're when you're working with him um one thing that that i that on, on rushmore for instance um there's a scene um where i'm part of this go-kart club yes. and uh, I remember when we were shooting that scene um, between takes Wes jumped in a go-kart and said let's go follow me and we like drove off the set and drove these go-karts all around the suburban streets of Houston and he had this big smile on his face and you felt that he wanted to like experience go-karting and maybe that's why it was in the movie a little bit you know what I mean like he was excited about it and I feel that on every movie he's done he makes it because some part of him wants to experience it personally yeah and so he's excited about it and like enjoys it so 
like on set, he's smiling and like when he's talking to the actors and showing them um, his idea for something, it's not like it doesn't to me feel like uh, pained or you know it's like very um, he's just he's excited to be there to be doing it. Oh, that's great. Um, so it's yeah, it's amazing. So speaking, it's, it's, I feel like excitement is a thing that I feel like really yeah. sets him apart, like from most people that I work with. It's just like he's kind of exuberant on and the set. It's so much fun to rewatch all his movies. Uh, Rushmore, I, I still love the movie. It's so yeah, great. Yeah, so great. <laughs> Why do you think it holds up so well, even after all these years? I don't know. I can't really say, but it is cool. Like um, you know, this is the first time in my life that. Um, you know, I'll be walking down the street and someone will come up to me and tell me that they saw Rushmore and the person who's saying it is the age or younger than I was when we made it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I never, yeah, so it's like, it's uh, really nice because it, it it feels like it has crossed to a generation that wasn't there. And um, that's like, I don't know, to me that just seems like the ultimate thing because, um, you know, I am that kid. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like who, who, who was 16 and 17 that, and movies and music meant so much. So the fact that like I could be in something that could mean that much to someone at that age, I don't know. It's like specifically to that age. Like I, it's cool that a 12 year old would come up and say, it, but the fact that like someone's 16 or 17, which is the age that I was, mm. There's something like uh, amazing about it to me because that was like that was my kind of breakthrough year for um, for experiencing a whole new kind of movie. Um, not not being in a movie, but like I, I that's when I discovered a whole different group of directors and stuff and, and movies to watch mm-hmm. that kind of took me to another um, place and viewing adventure in my life. And so when I meet people that are that age specifically who like Rushmore, it's really kind of like a, a thrill and. Also very moving. Well, but because Rushmore was your feature film debut, it was also your first film with Wes. It was a it was a film that really established a relationship and a rapport between you guys. And I want I want to know like what point, how far into the making of this movie did you realize that you and Wes really had a groove that would really flourish in the coming years? Well, when I met him at the audition, I felt instantly like. I wanted to be friends with him. I remember that feeling because when I went into the audition, honestly, I didn't think I was going to get the part. Um, so I just I went in for the experience. And when I um, when I walked in and I saw him, I was surprised. I didn't know he was so young. Yeah. And um, I remember we were talking about we started talking about the band Weezer. <laughs> um, the year before that had released this album called Pinkerton I remember that which had meant a lot to me and and Wes really liked it too and we had this long conversation about it and I remember thinking wow this I, I, would, I wish I could be friends with this guy and he was also sort of like one of the first adults um, to take to treat me like an equal mm. you know like most adults that you're in your life at that time are you know your parents or whatever they're kind of like talking down to you and he really like took me it seemed like he took me I don't know seriously is the right word but he kind of like you know asked me questions that most adults that I had met at that time hadn't and I liked that and I liked him and in fact like when I went in and we we talked for like 
maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes before we even got to the audition. And I remember when he said, like, should we read now? I remember either, I know I thought it, but I might have said, maybe we should just stop right here. Uh, maybe I shouldn't audition because <laughs> this has gone so nicely just uh, friend-wise. Yeah. Um, maybe I don't want to spoil it by being bad. Um, <laughs> so instantly there was like a, I felt that there was like a real comfort and rapport. Um, and then, I don't know, it was just such a powerful, like he gave me so much love and care while we were making that movie. Uh. We were staying in a hotel together and we were just a few doors down from each other and every night or most nights after work, um, he and I would have dinner together in his room and talk about the next day's work and then like watch a movie. Um, mm. So there was just a real mentor type uh, approach or philosophy that he was sort of like maybe doing um, unconsciously or whatever, but he was just instantly beyond meaningful to me as a, as a friend and a person. Oh, that's so great. And then you got to write with him when it came to Darjeeling Limited. How was yeah. that process? How what? How was it? Was it really fun to write with him? Yeah, it was great because, you know, we always have had a this friendship that, you know, has co- continued to evolve and is very close. And so much of that friendship is about uh, telling each other stories and commiserating Um so it really wasn't that much different, except we were writing and we were like commiserating with a with a kind of a purpose, um, <laughs> which was to find how it could apply to our story. Well, this is this is a relationship that has obviously been very very fruitful, and and we're we're just so grateful to have you call in. This yeah. is really really special, I and mean, it was so special oh. when when the movie won Best Picture Comedy the other night. The oh yeah, Globes, yeah. And I'm like, we got to get Jason to call in. <laughs> so oh, I, I it's so cool. I'm so excited to do it and. I was just with Wes today, and I was talking about how excited I was to oh, yay. come in. And, oh, that's so he cool. Was, he was happy, too, that I was doing it. it well, was, before we let you go, really before cool. we let you go, Jason, I just want to know, because you just have such a great relationship, and it's just so fruitful, it's so great to not only watch these movies when they come out, but to go back and watch them again and again so and good. again. Have you and Wes talked about what your next movie together might be? Is there anything you could share with us? <laughs> <laughs> I can't really share much about it. Um or if there is any, I mean, I don't really have much to to discuss. <laughs> okay. Well, on that right. note. Well, we'll hope for another one because but, you make such a good point. Yeah. But listen, congratulations. Yeah. Please give our best, not just our best, but the best of everyone who watches and listens to Profiles. We just love his movies and we love everything that you've done together. Mm. Thank you so much for taking the time hey, to call with us. thank you so much. I love it. And it's such a pleasure to be, um, to be on with you guys and, and talk and well, you yeah, have a great really day. Because cool. I love, I love, uh, I love learning about people. Yay! So. Well, we do too. So, I'm so if all... I can help other people learn about Wes. Yay, all, all the awesome. best to you. Happy New Year, and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Yes. That was cool. That was great. I love yes. that he was excited to talk to us on this show. I almost said, "Oh, go and listen to Francis Ford." <laughs> go <laughs> Yeah, we we spoke to your uncle. Wait, I love you said, oh yeah, I was just talking to Wes today and I, I told know. him I was doing this. Like, what? So Wes cool. Anderson knows about profiles. That's really Woo! awesome. That I... is really awesome. Wait, where were we? 
Where were, oh, oh Moon Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom. Okay, okay we're, we're getting saying. back into Moonrise Kingdom. Wait, one more high five, sister. Uh, yes. yes. Okay. So um, okay. We're saying that we love this movie because it's so relatable. It's right? about lovers on the run, but it's uh, it's about teenagers and it's about that time, that awkward time first when you want to grow up, you want to be independent, your first love, whether it is love or if it's more of a deep friendship and the kids they're the heart of this movie. Yeah, Sam and Susie. Sam and Susie. And those actors are so fantastic. Jared Gilman and Kara Hayward. Really, really sweet together. And then you have the adults who are, who are quite Wes Anderson-y. <laughs> yes, very much. But I love seeing Bruce Willis. Oh, Bruce Willis In great. Wes Anderson world. Well, I, what I loved about this movie, among other things, was how warm it was. It's it has the whimsy that you come to expect from Wes Anderson's films. It feels almost like a. a oh, sorry, I'm going to say something that's really film snobberish. Go ahead. I was going to say it feels like a French New Wave. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> that's, I, can, I get that, but it's this poignant coming of age movie. But it's movie. very accessible. And up to this point, because I think he did top it with his most recent one. But up to this point, I felt like Moonrise Kingdom was his most heartfelt and poignant film. Yeah, and and that's why I think it works, and that's why it really it did well commercially. It did well uh, critically as well. The the sets and and the production design, once again, all the camera movements. I love all the tracking shots, but like between rooms and different houses. Oh, they're similar great. to Royal Tenenbaums, but it's just done so well. Also similar to uh, Life Aquatic in the sub. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, he does true. that really well with the cross section <laughs> and it feels and like going a story between book. rooms. It feels like a story like a pop up. Book. And those books that Susie has, she has those six books, and Wes actually hired designers to design the covers. Oh, that's Don't you cool. just want to read those books? I just want to take them, yes. I want to have them on my bookshelf. He he wrote part of the books as well, so I'd love to actually get my hands on one of them and see what's in the books. Well, in addition to being his most heartfelt film to that, to that point, 2012, mm. I also thought it had the best cinematography mm-hmm. of any Wes Anderson the film. The scenery looked Up beautiful. To that point, it did. It really, really did. did. And Robert Yeoman, who was a obviously a cinematographer on all his live action films shot the film on a super 16 millimeter film camera oh wow so it does that's why it does have a little bit of a look to it because it's set in 1965 exactly yes and so it's it's one of his most nostalgic films nostalgia is very heavy of its time but saying it's also timeless once again and I love how and I think this goes back to what Jason was saying that Jason was saying when he worked with Wes he treated him like an adult I feel like that's what he does with the kid characters in every movie they're often quite adult and they can understand adult they they talk the same language and these two kids wise beyond their years wise beyond their years very well put Mm -hmm. and another great soundtrack this one made up mostly of songs by Hank Williams another film and listen just like uh, just like Royal Tenenbaums just like Darjeeling Limited a film that does deal in its own way with abandonment it does uh, I feel so sorry for Sam yeah. who's the foster kid I really did too yeah well let's find out what our friends in Schmoville our profilers had to say Dan Skip Allen who just celebrated a birthday recently yeah and you were so, so nice when you went to the Golden Globes you held up a sign saying happy birthday Dan from the red carpet representing Schmoville at the That's Golden really Globes really nice of you Moonrise Kingdom, Dan Skip Allen says, I am a big fan of Moonrise Kingdom. It's such a sweet movie, and Wes Anderson has crafted a great family-friendly film about two kids who just want to spend a little time together alone. An adventure <laughs> ensues when everyone goes searching for the kids in the middle of a hurricane. The cast members seem like they're having a blast working on this wonderful coming-of-age film. Well, um, TM Tibbers says the kids are more adult than the adults are in the movie, <laughs> yeah. which I think this is true. And Tyler Myers throws out an interesting question.
question, which I'll pose to you, Scott, while I read out a comment from someone else. Okay. Question of the day. Which actor that hasn't been in a Wes Anderson movie would you like to see in one of his movies? Ooh. Think about that while I read out the co- thoughts of Hayden Claiborne on Moonrise Kingdom. Says, it was the first Wes Anderson movie I saw, and I was blown away by the style, the characters, the romance, the comedy, the acting, and the fantasy feel it has to it. It also has some of the best child performances I have seen in years. Can you think of an actor you haven't seen? I, I, I just, it just hit me. Yeah. An actor who I could would love to see in a Wes Anderson movie who's not done one yet, Brad Pitt. Oh, I He'd can be picture good. him. He'd be good. You know why? Because because of the Coen brothers. Yes. Because of because of of Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is a is an underrated actor. He can he's got so many different styles. I think he would be great in a yes. Wes Anderson movie. How about you? Do you know what I just realized? What's that? Your little mic thing is upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't oh, wow. realize that. Oh, that's very symbolic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I I like um I love George Clooney's voice in Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'd love to see him in a, a live, live action. action movie. And uh, Duck Fortress says Tom Cruise. I was going to say Tom Cruise. Michael Camel says John Goodman. John Goodman. Well, right. I and feel like he, but he hasn't. But he hasn't. But, but you know, like because he's done so many Coen Brothers choice. movies. Uh, Matthew Adams says Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin would Which be good. Which be good. And Liam Novel says Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, he'd be good too. He'd be yeah. good too. And Tyler Myers says, nice choices. My pick is Mark Wahlberg. Before we move on, what about actresses? Actresses, yeah. Well, Meryl Streep was the voice in Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was which was great. I love Saoirse Ronan in Grand Budapest Hotel. I mean, I'm on a big Jessica Chastain kick right now. I was right going to say Jessica Chastain. She I would love is to see my, her. my favorite actress currently working right now. I'd love to see her. And uh, Kate Blanchett. She hasn't done one, has she? No. Oh, no. Steve Zissou. Steve Zissou. Yes. She did. Oh, yes, she I did. I want to see her in okay. another see one. See in another Wes Anderson yes. movie. Well, moving on to... Listen, there is not one bad movie in this bunch. No. Right? Not one. But we have five slots... There are eight feature films. Yep. So, so now we're, we're going to talk, talk about, about the others. The others. Let's start with Fantastic Mr. Fox from 2009. The stop motion animation. I just watched it again this morning on the plane back from New York. <laughs> Roald Dahl book, which was actually Wes's first book that he ever owned. And I love how it's not just a kid's movie. It looks like a kid's movie, but it's not. It's, it's not. It's for grown-ups. It's grown a ups. heist movie. It is, it is a movie that is more really for grown-ups. Clever. Very clever. Very deep. Won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature for 2009. I love that George Clooney plays Mr. Fox. You got to love George Clooney. The stop motion animation is terrific. It is meticulously crafted. And for an animated movie, it is very, very Wes Anderson. And what about Bottle Rocket? Bottle Rocket. I I like Bottle Rocket. I'm down with Bottle Rocket. I mean, uh, uh, the performances are very Wes-y, Wes Anderson-esque. I love seeing Owen and Luke. Together. Together, right. Just yep. like they were in Royal Tenenbaums. At the start of and their then careers. There's the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, who I know. Yes, that's Steve Zissou himself. Steve Zissou himself <laughs> loves this movie. In fact, Steve Zissou has this to say. He's one of our great profilers, in case you don't know. And his name is Steve Zissou. His real name is Justin Bass. Yeah, I think so. Right. And he has this to say about The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. One of my all-time favorite films is Wes Anderson's Moby Dick, otherwise known as The Life Aquatic. Mm -hmm. It's not only hilarious as a Bill Murray movie, it's a film about loss 
the loss of Steve's best friend, the loss of fame, the loss of his marriage, the loss of the Belafonte, and ultimately the loss of his son is also the best Owen Wilson has ever been as he really loses himself in Ned Plimpton. Adidas actually makes Team Zisu sneakers. P.S. Do you ever, do you ever wish you could hold your breath underwater? <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve Zisu, right? Yeah. Well, Steve Zisu, Justin, he, he helps to run our Facebook page, which is Profiles with Malone and Matt. So go to Facebook, give it a big old like because then you can participate in the brackets. The brackets are Each so fun. Each week the fans make these brackets where they sometimes they pit two movies against each other, sometimes they pit two characters against each other. This time they focused on the relationships. Yes. Because the relationships in Wes Anderson movies are very important. They are the standout. So they had Sam and Susie versus Margot and Richie Tenenbaum. Then and Sam and Susie won out of them. Um, so that is their favorite relationship. They also did best film. So best film came down to Grand Budapest versus Moonrise Kingdom. Which do you think won? Uh, I'm going to say Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest. Wow. So profilers, according to our Facebook page, they love Sam and Susie as, out of all the relationships in Wes Anderson movies. And they love Grand Budapest Hotel as their number one movie, which I think segues nicely. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, that Royal Tenenbaums did not feature higher yeah. on that list. But anyway, that's cool. That's good because that segues quite nicely into our Fast Five number, number two, two, which is... Who are you? I'm Zero, sir. The new lobby boy. Zero, you say? Yes, sir. Well, I've never heard of you. Never laid eyes on you. Who hired you? Ah, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. For 2014. 2014, March 7th to be exact. Golden Globe winner, Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Director's Guild Award nominee for Wes Anderson. This is Wes Anderson's highest grossing movie. $163 million Love worldwide. That. Love it. Go. Oh, you thought I was going to speak? It's also, I'd say, his most intricate movie because it's a story within a story within a story. There's so many layers, layers. to this to the script. I don't know how he managed it all, but he he pulls it off perfectly. It has no right to be as good as it is because it's it's part comedy, it's part heist movie, it's part like a whodunit mystery, it's part historical epic, and yep. then part keep going, part political war thriller. Keep going. So many mixes of tones in there, and will. Defoe, he's terrifying. There's an assassin in the movie. Assassin, but Ray Fiennes steals the show. He is his, it is his best performance since Schindler's List. So good. So good. He's so funny in he's this so, movie. He's so dapper, but everything, so effeminate. Everything you just said, Pompous. the way it is layered, three layers. It's almost like Wes Anderson's Inception. <laughs> it is. I, <laughs> saw, I saw in a ca- comparison online to Russian nesting dolls, and it's like that because you take off the, the first one, then there's another one, there's another one there's another one you can go deep with this movie and that's why like we said each time you watch it you see something new it's his most ambitious film for that reason because of all the things it moves by very fast you know it is part screwball comedy (laughs) but it has depth and warmth and poignancy because of the relationship between Gustav and Zero it is that is the heart of this film and this actually topped Moonrise Kingdom as his most heartfelt film Mm -hmm. as the best shot film cinematography wise Mm. and it's just his most most poignant movie and I just love how each of the time periods 1985 1968 1932 were all shot using different 
aspect ratios. Yeah, and like uh, Jason mentioned, it has all the elements of a Wes Anderson movie. That's what some people who are skeptical about Wes Anderson say is like his style is always the same. It's like no, he knows his his general style. He knows what he likes. He's so good at that. Fantastic at it. It it evolves within that realm. And this movie is the summation of everything he's done before. It makes sense. It's got that great stop motion animation scene with the skiing down the hill. It's got miniatures. It's got some similar shots we've seen before, but done even bigger and better. And it looks so amazing. It looks beautiful. And I was reading that it was only made for about $20 million thanks to a lot of tax breaks. Right. But it looks like it's way more expensive. It looks, it's just such a beautiful film. And again, just like Royal Tenenbaum and so many other movies, it has a storybook feel to it. Great I mean, cast. it opens with a book. It has a great cast. <laughs> uh, but what I loved doing my research for this film, the review that Ellen Gleiberman wrote for Entertainment Weekly Mm -hmm. summed it up in a lot of ways for me because I had my breakthrough for Wes Anderson doing research for this Profiles. And this is what Ellen Gleiberman said about the Grand Budapest Hotel in March of 2014. He goes, I've had my Wes Anderson breakthrough, or maybe he had his. It's a marvelous contraption. The wheels within the wheels within the wheels of this thriller, and it is pure movie play. Mm. That just sums it up for me because I felt like I had my breakthrough for Wes Anderson doing this. And I have to thank you for that (laughs) because this was just the most rewarding profiles for me yet. But we're not even finished yet. We're not even finished. We're not even finished. We've got more to go. Uh, Let's read out some comments from profilers. Mark Tordai says, Mark Tordai. Quite simply, the Grand Budapest Hotel made me into a Wes Anderson fan. Yes. Same as you. All right. After seeing it last April in LA, I became fascinated with Wes Anderson's writing and directing style. Even though I wasn't a fan of his previous work, I wasn't expecting some of the darker themes, yet they blended very well with Anderson's usual usual quirky tone. (laughs) Since seeing Grand Budapest, I have revisited all of Wes Anderson films, and I now consider myself a fan. I finally get what you all do. Yes! I think that's true. If if you come in, you watch Grand Budapest, and then I think when you re-watch his previous movies, you have a deeper appreciation for them. You know what to look for. You're able to pick up on things that went by you Mm -hmm. maybe the first or even the second time. Watching Grand Budapest again, this was my fourth time watching it, and it was my my favorite time watching it because yeah. I feel like okay I got everything that was going on keep in mind this is a, a 90 minute movie and there's so much so to it much. if Christopher Nolan directed this it would have been three hours long <laughs> yeah and we still would have loved it <laughs> well Tyler Moore our favorite profiler says the Grand Budapest Hotel was one of 2014's best films with a stunning cast including an Oscar worthy Ray Fiennes one of the best scores of last year as well and one of the best directing jobs Wes Anderson has ever done Grand Budapest has it all well, Joshua Willingham says, as magical and whimsical as the Grand Budapest is, it never feels fake. I feel like I could actually walk into that world and not feel out of place. Comedy and violence mix perfectly together. To which Rachel, Rachel Cushing replies, Joshua, that's what makes Anderson great in general. Despite how they look, they feel pretty genuine. And Mladen Kukulik. I'm terrible at pronouncing yeah. it. <laughs> says, I wasn't a fan of Wes Anderson at first, but when I saw Grand Budapest Hotel, I was hooked. And I know it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Some people might not enjoy it. But if you watch it, you can't you can't not appreciate double negative, but you have to appreciate the level of detail that went so into this detail. movie and the, the accomplishment that it is. The, 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 the layers. I mean, it, it, is, it is brilliant. It but is it's quite simply still a brilliant not our movie. number one, is it? It is not our number one. What is the number one movie on our Fast Five, Alicia? I like your nurse's uniform, guy. <laughs> These are OR scrubs. 
Oh, oh are, are they? they? Yeah. <laughs> I love that line. I love that line too. Rushmore. Rushmore 19, came out. 1998. 1998, December 11th to be exact, my friend. Won two Independent Spirit Awards, Best Director for Wes Anderson, Best Supporting Actor for Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, cost $20 million to make. Didn't do that well at the box office. Only made $17 million. But... I- that's a cult classic now. This is a cult classic. And listen, I think after Grand Budapest Hotel made $163 million worldwide, Wes Anderson can write his own ticket from now on. Yes. He's been doing that all along anyway. This is a great coming-of-age movie, Rushmore, that I is. I think it's coming-of-age backwards. Because, How so? Because, because he is so adult. And then oh. he kind of has to learn to let go. And and become a teenager. Yeah. That's so it's point. kind of like he's reversing the process. Or right, because he's such an overachiever. Mm-hmm. He's in every single club at his prep school and yep. then Grover Cleveland High School and then some, but he's horrible he at his grades. He thinks he's ready for love. And he he's thinks, clearly like, not. him and Olivia Williams could be together. Great love triangle in this movie. Yeah. I love Bill Murray in this film. Oh, we already talked so about great. just how, how this was such a game changer for him as mm-hmm. well. Excellent soundtrack. The Kinks, The Rolling Stones, Cat Stevens, John Lennon, The Faces. Now, the soundtrack was going to be made up at one point. It was supposed to be just Kinks songs, but he, he opened it up. And the movie was actually filmed at Wes Anderson's alma mater, the St. John's School in Houston. Yeah, he wrote the film with Owen Wilson and the, the scene when Max gets expelled is apparently very similar to what actually happened to Owen Wilson who was expelled from his school oh, in right. Texas. I love the scene that Jason was mentioning before where it shows all the clubs that Max Fisher is involved in and it just has the typography down the bottom and it has him like doing his thing and, and as you pointed out before he's he's so good at everything, Max Fisher except for his grades, his grades. <laughs> and he's like one of the worst students they ever. say that they ever had uh, apparently, Wes Anderson used to write plays at school, That's which right. wouldn't surprise anyone. No so way. it's very similar to Max Fisher. Well, our friend Margaret Alzine, our profiler in Schmoville, says, Rushmore is my favorite Wes Anderson film. While it may be considered his least stereotypical Wes Anderson-looking film in terms of its color scheme, it still has Anderson's staple of eccentric characters. I love how Max is the most extracurricular student at school while receiving <laughs> yeah, mediocre grades. We just said that, uh, <laughs> which is a trait not often seen in movies. While he can be a very unlikable character, I still want to see him turn out well in the end. It's also the film that gave us recurring Wes Anderson collaborators Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman. Uh, yeah, just to point out, we don't read these comments before the show so that we can be surprised by them, but I love how often they say the same things we do because yes. it means we're all on the, the same, same page. page. Well, James Ryan says, Becoming a cult classic after it came out, Rushmore is the first film where audiences truly got a look into the director that Wes Anderson would become. It's true, it established his style. Sure it did. The two main characters in the film, Max Fisher and Herman Bloom, are wonderfully portrayed by Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray. Murray in particular gives one of the best performances of his career as a man who is unfulfilled in life. This is the best shown this is best shown during a party at Bloom's house where he jumps off a diving board and remains underwater while the kinks nothing in the world can stop me worrying about that girl plays. It's a beautiful <laughs> scene and it's one highlight of the film filled with them. I love the, the revenge scenes as well. Oh, they're when so Max great. starts to get his revenge on the two. Or when he's, when Bill Murray starts to get his revenge on Max and yeah. he's like running over the bike with his car. But now now that we've done our Fast Five. And Ken Napsok, by the way, who's watching. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. He does all our voiceovers. He says, Rushmore is about heartbreak. Stoic, dignified heartbreak. And that is 
Well said, Ken. Very well Very said. Very well said by the man who says everything so, so well. Yeah. But now now that we've done our Fast Five, if you we could go back and change it, what would you do differently? I would I would still have Darjeeling at number five because I love that movie. I would probably... It's so hard, isn't it? Because they're all so good. Yeah. But I'd probably move uh, Moonrise, Kingdom Moonrise Kingdom to number four Bombs. and then Royal Tenor Bombs to number three and but, then Grand Budapest Hotel. And JTE, who is in the booth, he says his top five is one Rushmore, two Bottle Rocket, three Royal Tenant Bombs, four Grand Budapest, and five Life Aquatic. Oh, there you go. Well, Steve Susu will love their... that. Everyone has their own Fast Five. Exactly. In fact, what, let's just take this time now because we usually do this like a couple of times we throughout our broadcast. We got excited. We were so pumped. But please, if you are watching and listening, please do a few things. For one thing, go to our Facebook page, Profiles with Malona Mance. Like our Facebook page. Share it with your friends. Join in on the fun when we do these brackets and when we ask people, when we ask the profilers what their favorite movies are and why. Because as you can see in here, yeah. we do read That's the comments the on comments the air. From. That's where we get these comments. We get them from Facebook. So please go to our Facebook page, Profiles with Malone and Mance. And also... Thanks to iTunes. If you're listening right now <laughs> or if you're watching on YouTube, please go to iTunes, yes. rate and review us. And subscribe and because subscribe. we want to stay in the, the top charts. It, it might be fleeting, but we're enjoying being at number one. And actually, our survival depends on our presence yeah. on iTunes. So please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to our podcast. Hopefully, you probably caught us for the first time with our Tim Burton show. We have 18 other shows before that. Yeah. And now this brand new one. Some that great you're listening guests to. All the great time. guests all the time. You never know who will call in. You've got great energy with Malone and Mance. That's right. We so are energy. talking about movies <laughs> and we sure do geeks? love our movies. Yes. We are film geeks through and through. Hashtag also, film geek. You can go to youtube.com slash popcorn talk network and that's where you can watch the show on YouTube either live, which is every Tuesday at 3 p.m. LA time, or you can catch it later on and give us a comment. We try to reply when we can. And for the record, our Fast Five. Going through the rundown again. Number five is Darjeeling Limited. Number four, Royal Tenenbaums. Number three, Moonrise Kingdom. Number two, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Number one, Rushmore. And next week we're doing something a little bit different. Okay, set this up. Got to set this up. I know, I will. This has been um, requested by so many people. More like demanded. Demanded. I, I We're going to talk about how exactly to approach it because it's a little bit different next week. Have a listen to who we will be talking about. That wait, wait, wait. is not Star Wars. Not Star It's not George Lucas. It's not even Harrison Ford. We already did him. We are spotlighting our very first composer mm -hmm. John, John Williams. Williams. So many people have requested this. I went to see him at the Hollywood Bowl recently. He's got so many great things. Oh my gosh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So it'll be a different episode. It'll be really fun. Hopefully you guys can join us then. And thanks to everyone who's watching on YouTube or listening on iTunes. Thank you so much. We will see you next time with our first composer. Until next time, bye! bye. <laughs> <laughs>